Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 103, a psalm of adoration to Christ for three very specific reasons, because of what he does, because of who he is, and because of the position of power and authority that he holds. Uh, suppose a, uh, a wife says to her husband, I know you love me, but I want to know why you love me. Now, most men will respond to that question, well, I, I just love you, I do. And they don't want to get into the answer because the answer is complicated. The answer needs to be pretty significant. Um, and if they get it wrong, they're in trouble. So they just rather say, you know, I love you. Just trust me. I love you. Now, why do you love me? And I'll just help you out a little bit with this, guys. First thing out of your mouth, this is not all. This is not the only things. I mean, you start that way. Because you know you can't, you can't answer this sufficiently. This is a big question. Why do I love you? And there's at least three reasons, big categories, and lots of little reasons. Number one, I love you, but this is not all. I love you for what you do. That's not all. Wait, wait, wait. Hold the phone, you know, because she's going to quickly say, if you only love me for what I do, just go hire it out, you know. So you can't just say I love you for what you do. But you can say a lot of good stuff under that. I love you for what you do. Like, I love you that you worship God. That's something you do. I love you that you read your Bible. I love you that you pray. I love you that um, you train up our kids. You teach them. You make meals. You clean the house. You work a job. I mean, you do all sorts of things. I love you for that. But that's not all. I also love you, second category, for who you are. I love you because you are an amazing individual created in the image of God, a, a thing of super beauty. You know, I, I, I just, you're compassionate, you're sensitive, you're kind, you're caring, you're thoughtful, thinking of others, self-denying. I mean, you just go on and on when you stop, really think about it. I love you not only for what you do, but I love you for who you are. You're an amazing, attractive wife to me. And then third, I also love you for the position you hold. You are a covenant partner with me. You have a position of power and authority, of rule in the home over our children and the affairs of what's going on. And it's, it's, it's so significant to know that you are partnering with me in these things for the rest of our lives. Well, when I stop to, to think about why I love my wife, you say, where did I get these things from? I get it from loving our God. The same things are mentioned in Psalm 103, that we love our God, we adore him for what he does, for who he is, and for the position he holds. And if we could kind of get our grip around those categories it helps us to express our love to one another but it helps us to express primarily our love to God so I want us to work through Psalm 103 this morning and think 
of these categories God gives us. First of all, we are to bless the Lord, verse 1, Psalm 103, and he begins to listen, list his benefits for what he does. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Think about the advantages God gives us, just benefits, things he does, the gifts he gives. Uh, is that selfish to go to God and say, I want to thank you for what you've been giving me? No, not really, because he's a giving God. We, we see that's part of his character. He's going to give. And so this is not selfish to thank him for what he gives. It's courteous. It's right. It's respectful. It's, it's honorable to thank those who are givers into your life. And God is one of those. He is constantly giving to us. So the psalmist says, who's David, says, I need to bless the Lord. Now the word bless is translated in some of your Bibles as praise. And that's a great translation. Bless the Lord, praise the Lord, they're both fine. Uh, what that means is you need to make God the object of your favor. He's your focus. Um, thank the Lord, praise the Lord, bless the Lord. God is the focus of my adoration, my affection, my desires. Uh, I like to even think about it as my thoughts, that to bless the Lord, to praise the Lord, is to begin thinking of God first, to become God-centered and not man-centered. We need to be a people who are thinking of God first, blessing Him, praising Him because of what He gives. I mean, we have the air that we breathe. Every breath is from Him. That's not one of the things mentioned here, but He sustains us, so we need to be blessing Him thanking Him, praising Him, because He is a giver. He needs to be part of uh, our heart and desire. Uh, I think when you mentioned verse 2, the benefits, forget none of His benefits. Hopefully, most of you were trained to do this. And you were trained to do this at every meal. This is a mealtime thing. We stop and say, let's stop and thank the Lord for what? For blessings. He has blessed us. The food we have, the food we're about to eat, the drink we're about to drink, it all comes from Him. That routine that many of us have being residents of the Bible Belt, you know, we've grown up with prayer before meals. Um, and that's come from Him. We just need to bless the Lord and not forget His benefits. Now, when you stop to think about benefits what's the greatest benefit god gives us and if we take a survey it's going to come up over and over and over i think the greatest benefit besides him it's forgiveness of sins and that's where the psalmist takes us verse three who pardons all your iniquities so as soon as he thinks about benefits the greatest benefit i have is that he forgives me of sin he pardons me of sin because if he doesn't do that i'm born in sin you're born in sin 
Sinful beings cannot approach a holy God. Sin creates a barrier between us and God. So we have nothing to do with him. He has nothing to do with us unless sin's dealt with. So that's got to be a chief first benefit, that he must deal with our sin problem or there's no relationship. Adoration can't take place. We're at enmity with God. We don't adore God until the sin problem is dealt with. So when you think about benefits, and maybe this should be more in our daily prayers of uh, uh, even at the table, Lord, thank you not only for providing me with food and drink today, but for providing me with the forgiveness of my sins. For without that, I am destined to hell and lost forever. So God is the one who alone can forgive sinners of sin. We all sinners. We just took vows here. We are sinners. We trust Christ to deal with that sin problem, to remove sin from us. Now, if he removes sin from us, you see the logical progression. He, verse 3, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. What's the consequence of sin? One of the chief consequences of sin is disease and illness. We not only are born sinners, but we're born into a world that's under the curse. None of us were born in the Garden of Eden like Adam and Eve. <clears throat> so uh, they didn't have sin to deal with until they sinned. Uh, and they, they didn't have thorns. They didn't have thistles. They didn't have a cursed world. There was no briars. There was nothing, no disease, no illness to deal with. Uh, sin brought that in. Consequence to sin is the whole world was cursed. And part of the curse was disease and illness and sickness and frailty. All of that uh, began to happen. Well, I love the, um, the exhaustive all here. Who pardons all your sin and heals all your diseases. Now you think, well, no, not yet. But yes, ultimately, he does. We will one day in heaven be removed from all the presence of sin. If you're removed from the presence of sin, you're going to be removed from illness and sickness. You know, one of the conversations you're never going to have in heaven, you're not going to wake up beside somebody and say, how'd you sleep? And they say, not too good. Coughing all night. Can't get rid of this cold. That conversation is not going to happen. You're not going to wake up and say, don't feel too good. I'm sick. Why? Because there are no, he has healed us from all our illnesses. Sorry for you medical type. We don't need you in heaven. Yeah. You, don't, you won't need you to fix stuff. You'll get in another assignment. I'm sure it'll be wonderful. But uh, we're, all our diseases and illnesses are healed. Can you imagine that? Bless the Lord. Come, let us behold and adore him. Because he's not only going to take away all of our sin, but all these things that trouble us now, also removed. By his stripes, Isaiah 53 says, we are healed. His death on the cross, dealing with sin, deals with the illnesses and the diseases and everything else that comes with that. So bless the Lord, by all means. Verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit. I think he's just given us a contrast, verse 4 and 5. He goes down to 
your lowest point to the pit, to some miry clay, and snatches you from there so that he can, keeps on going, crown you with loving kindness and compassion, satisfy your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Um, He just shows us this contrast. I'm taking you from your lowest point. I'm raising you to your highest point. I'm going to satisfy you with years. Your years with good things. So that your youth, you remember when you were young and youthful and full of vigor. It says that's, that's going to be renewed. You're going to have that kind of energy and life. Um, like the, the energy and life of, of the young who never seems to get tired. Um, that's what God is promising that to give us. Um, as you think about this, uh, I remember a conversation I had once, uh, uh, a dialogue with uh, several worship pastors, and they were saying, well, one of the things that really bothers me is songs where the, the, the tune doesn't match the words. And I said, well, okay, uh, can you give me an example? And the example the guy gave me was, love lifted me. And I said, so what's wrong with that? And he said, well, it's, it's just too fast and bouncy and upbeat. And it's talking about sinking deep in sin. And I said, no, it's not. He said, yeah, it was. The first line, I was sinking deep in sin far from the restful shore. I said, no, 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 wait. What tense? He said, what do you mean what tense? Past tense, present tense, future tense. He said, past tense. And I said, well, I hope the lights are coming on. Anytime you can talk about sin in past tense, you should be jumping up and running and singing fast and glorious songs. And that's what the psalmist is talking about. I'm going to put all your sin in the past tense, all your disease in the past tense. I'm going to renew you and send you to the heights. That's a glorious thing. And we need to come and adore God for that tremendous gift of just giving to us. Our lives are not short-lived. Eternity is connected to it and uh, quite exciting. Well, let's keep going. This is a long psalm. Not only thank him for what he does, but let's thank him for who he is. I tried to put some categories on this, verses 6 through 18. It just keeps ringing over and over through these verses God's kindness, his love, his compassion, his righteousness. Um, And you'll just see it kind of repeat. This is who he is. First thing we see, verse 6 and 7, he is a God, the Lord performs righteous deeds, who performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. In other words, think about this a minute. This is who he is. He is a righteous judge. As a righteous judge, he obviously... Uh, does stuff, righteous judgments. I, I used to, uh, I forget the name, I didn't look it up, this country song that says you cheated, you lied, you, you, you left or whatever. I, I just hope I'm around when somebody puts you down. And I used to hear that song, it's very popular, it's been redone by a bunch of folks. I used to think, that's, that's vengeance, that's revenge. I shouldn't want that, that's not a Christian virtue. And so I was, I taught, I've talked myself out of this song many times, liking it, even though I kind of like it, you know? Until I got to this psalm, and he says, 
The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. Have you ever been oppressed? Have you ever had people say bad things about you? Have you ever had rumors and gossip, anything like that go on? Has anybody ever, you know, treated you wrong? And then he says, and guess what? God's going to right the wrongs. God is going to perform righteous deeds. And then he gives the illustration, verse 7, he made this part of his character known to Moses. And what did he do with Moses? He said, you're under oppression. You've been oppressed as a people for 400 years. Guess what? God's showing up, and God is a righteous judge. <coughs> now, vengeance is the Lord's. You don't have to take out vengeance on Pharaoh and his armies. God's going to do that. And you're going to want to be around. It's like, you're going to want to watch this. And you go back and you read Moses differently then. Moses, you're going to want to watch this. I'm going to turn the, the river red with blood. I'm going to send in some gnats. I'm going to send in some... Pro you're going to want to watch this. I'm going to kill his children. I'm going to kill his livestock. I'm going to drown him in the Red Sea. And you're going to want to watch this. Because that's who I am. I am a righteous judge and I want you to know that because you're going to face trouble in this life but there's coming a time where God writes all wrongs we don't have to do it but that's who he is and that gives us comfort that no matter how we are treated it's going to be okay because God's going to fix it he might not fix it till heaven but he's going to fix it he introduces himself again that way. Bless him. He keeps a record. He writes all wrongs. His righteous judgments come. And he does it with compassion. Verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. Uh, marvelous that he can be so righteous and judgmental of wrong and yet so compassionate and gracious to us. Slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. What kind of God is he? He's not hard. He's not harsh towards his people. He, he lingers with sinners. Slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. Having dealt with the sin problem he's he's working with us compassion and grace you, you ever seen a uh, a parent just always criticizing just jumping on the kids just uh, nah, 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 all the time it's like oh lighten up god is not always on our back he wants us to repent he wants us to turn from sin he wants us to live in obedience and righteousness but he's not always on our back He's slow to anger. He's compassionate. He's caring. He's gently bringing us in. Bless the Lord. That's, that's an awesome, glorious God. And verse 10, he doesn't deal with us according to our sins or reward us according to our iniquities. But what, what that means is he doesn't give us all that we deserve. He gives it to Christ. And we get to go free. What a blessing that is. That's the kind of God he is. Yes, I got to deal with your sin, but I'm going to 
let Christ, I'm going to send my son to die in your place. That's how I'm going to deal with it. Um, if God didn't show us that mercy, what would we be left with? You're left with hell. Hell is torment. But God has, has worked out a plan of revealing himself to us that he is a God who has really unmeasured mercy. I, I love verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love and kindness towards those who fear him. Think about that a minute. How much does God love you? And he says, well, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so look down to the earth, look up at heaven. He says, that's how much. We have such a small view of God's love. You typically ask people, well, how much, you know, you could play this game with a kid. How much does daddy love you? This much? No, no, no. This much? No, no, no. This much? No, no, no. And you finally say, this much. I don't know how many preachers I've heard say, how much does God love you? Christ was on the cross. He loves you this much. From this outstretched hand to this outstretched hand. And said, no, he doesn't. He loves me from here to the heavens. He loves me that much. That's what the psalmist says. Far greater than we see. We can't even see the heavens. We can't imagine the greatness of God's love. As high as the heavens are above the earth. And the heavens are above the sky. The heavens are above the galaxies. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his compassion and love. We, we, we've not even begun to tap in or comprehend the greatness of God's love. See, say, well, that's something I can't measure. I can measure this. Well, that's, that's the point. It's unmeasured mercy. It's beyond our measure and comprehension. That's how great our God is, and we need to love him. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Wow, what has he done with our sins? Same thing, it's unmeasured. How far he's, what extent he's gone to to deal with it. Uh, growing up, I used to, I was one of those who wanted to get something done fast and move on. And so, clean up your room. Okay, I'd sweep stuff under the rug, throw stuff in the closet, and I'm gone. Well, that's where I learned the term spring cleaning, because... At some point, I had to deal with that. And the stuff under the rug got grimy and dirty. and so much, It took a whole day to finally clean when I got in charge of cleaning it. You know, um, God doesn't do that. He says, when I deal with your sin, I don't, I don't sweep sin to the side to be dealt with later. I remove sin as far as the east is from the west. It's gone. It's not coming up again. We're not going to have to, to deal with this again. If God has forgiven you, he's removed your sin. As far as the east is from the west, it's beyond our measure or thought. That's his unmeasured mercy and kindness uh, to deal with our sin that way. So if you are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. Romans 8, 1, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. I hope you're getting the theme of the psalm. So bless the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
because of what he gives us, because of who he is. Um, verse 13, what a loving father. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Verse 14, for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. He's a father that really understands, knows our gifts, our abilities, our capabilities, um, and he measures out life that fits us. Have you ever had a teacher or professor that gave you more than you could handle? I, I, I still to this day, I hate it. I, I wish I could go back to my logic professor and give him a thing or two, you know? Uh, I had this logic course. It was a three-hour logic course, <clears throat> and I had to spend all afternoon and all night working on homework assignments for this logic course. And right after the logic course, I had a four-hour science course. And I started comparing the two, and I said, you know, I'm doing ten times as much with this logic course that I'm doing, which is only three hours, than I am with this science course, which is four hours. That's not logical. It's insane. The absence, the absence of logic. So I dropped that course. And so I've been illogical ever since, I guess. I don't But anyway... It was more than I could handle. And I wish sometimes you could just tell that to people. This, is, this might be okay for you, but it's more than I can handle. We have a God who says, I know you are frail. You're like dust to me. I know exactly what you can handle. And I'm a compassionate father. I get it. And so he gives us what we need to handle. Sometimes it may feel like more than we can handle, but nevertheless, he, let me remind you who I am. I do know what you can handle and what you can take, and he takes that into account when he gives to us. Verse 15, 16, As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes when the wind is passed over it. It is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. Now, we don't like to read those words because <coughs> we like to think we're bigger and stronger and more powerful than that expresses. But this is the reality that our lives are, are short on earth. That whatever your number of years, it's nothing compared to eternity. And no matter how much you work out in the gym, it's nothing compared to these eternal glorified bodies that God's going to give us. He says, when I look at you, you resemble a flower to me. You're as frail as dust. You're like a flower. What does it take to extinguish a flower? Not much. His illustration, a little wind will do it. You can blow flowers over with the wind. A little disease, a little rain, you can step on them. You can pick them so easy. He says, that's what you're like. Your life can be gone like that. It's, it's frail. It's like a flower. It just, it's just here for a little while it flourishes. And then when it's gone, it's gone, and its place doesn't even acknowledge that it is gone. So that view of who we really are, and then don't miss the but. I circled it in verse 17. But. So right after I've described how frail we are, but the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting 
to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Think about, okay, you're frail, you're temporal, we're going to be here just a little while, and then he links it to his eternality. But God's love towards you frail creatures is from everlasting to everlasting. So he's going to take us who cannot survive without him, and he's going to hold us into eternity. Bless the Lord. Because I'm not going to make it. I'm going to wear out. I'm going to, like a flower, just be gone. And people won't even acknowledge that I'm gone. Oh, he's gone. I didn't know that. He's just gone. But not to God. He holds us. He says, but you're going to be loved. And you're going to be loved from everlasting to everlasting because you fear the Lord, right? You're blessing the Lord. You're praising the Lord. And his righteousness to children's children. I love that, that he threw that in. We have a God whose character is not only to love us, but also to love our children. Not only am I going to love you who are frail into eternity, I'm going to keep my promises to your children. Remember that? He says, I made a promise to you and your children and your children's children after you. We do that every time with baptism. We're reminded of this covenantal God we have who loves this his character. He loves to keep promises. And he loves to keep promises to our children. That's awesome. Bless the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for not only loving me, but loving my whole household. For being faithful to keep a covenant promise. Not just to me, but to my children. Is that guaranteed every kid's salvation in Christ? No. But God promises to bless those, he says it over and over in the psalm, those who fear him. If you fear him, if you're blessing him, if you're trusting him, which is why I've said so many times, it's just not an option for me not to come to church on Sunday and bless the Lord. Because the promises are, David, do that. Bless me, I'm going to keep promises to your children. My children matter too much not to show up here and bless the Lord. Because I have a God who wants to bless them if I bless him. That's how it works. And you just see this over and over through this psalm and through the scriptures. And that's something to get excited about. And something to praise God about. Because God is a God who wants to be involved in our whole home, our families. Um, so, verse 18, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. I think I've already said that. Okay, let's jump to verse 19. Praise God, this is a new section. Praise God not only for what he does, praise God for who he is, but now praise him for his position. And he shares his position of being enthroned in the heavens. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Uh, so we have this God who's in the heavens. He rules uh, from the heavens, which is a great place to rule from because he's got such advantage there. Um, it's the same language as Jesus in Matthew uh, 28, uh, 18. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father. I'm going to sit on the throne. I have all authority and power. His position is a position of power. It's a position of advantage. It's a position to do anything 
within his holy will and in no way be thwarted. That's his position. Bless the Lord. This God who's doing so much for us is fixed in heavens. Uh, and then verse 20, Bless the Lord, you his angels, his mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his host, uh, you who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. What's going on there? Think about it. If God is, has this position of authority and power that's higher and greater than everything, and you start blessing him, at some point you begin to realize my blessings don't seem to be very significant to one who seems to be so superior. And so when you realize how small we are, Lord, I'm blessing you, I'm blessing you, but you're so huge. You're, you're on the throne of heaven and earth. You have all authority and power. You're over everything. And so when you finally realize your insignificance, you ask for help. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. He says, bless the Lord, you his angels. He's like, okay, I'm sending blessings into heaven. Can I get some help up there? Angels, y'all, you help me out. You bless him too, because he deserves to be blessed. And not only angels, then he starts mentioning host. I think that a good understanding, verse 21, bless the Lord, all you his host. Most commentators say host probably is a reference to uh, fish or birds. It's everything in, in this animal kingdom world. I need some help. You give me some help too. And then if you've missed anything, heaven or on earth, verse 22, bless the Lord all his works. Everything else that has been created by God needs to come together with me and bless the Lord. So think about the significance of blessing the Lord. It's that big that, that even as we gather in this place, you know, we, we should be beckoning other creatures, the works of God, to join us in blessing the Lord because he deserves to be blessed just because of his position of authority and power. So angels, help us out in here. Bless the Lord. Joe, next time you go fishing, say, fish, help me out. Bless the Lord. You know, you talk to the birds, talk to the fowl, talk to the insects, help me out here. We all together need to be blessing the Lord. That's what the psalmist is doing. And you know, we've been doing that all our life to a degree when we sing the doxology. You remember that? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him of all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. So in that doxology, we're, we're saying, I shouldn't be the only one giving praise to this awesome God. Heavenly host, join me here and praise him. All creatures on the earth, join me here and praise him. He deserves to be blessed and praised. That's what the psalmist is saying. Come. Let's all come and adore him. He's so awesome. So great is our God. He deserves all praise. Um, how do you do it? There's no end to it. 
You praise him by, the, by singing. You come and sing to him. God says, I like that. I like it when you sing. Praise to me. You come and you give. God says, I like that. You acknowledge my authority and power when you, when you give your tithes and your offerings. You, you praise him by obedience, by service, by encouraging others. God says, I like that. That's blessing me. When you use your gifts and you encourage and build up the church, when, when you are obedient, when you teach the precepts and follow the precepts, God says, I like that. That's blessing me. So don't have a small view of, of blessing. It's more than a song and an offering. It's, it's, it's our lives being lived for Christ, being those who are thinking of here constantly, appreciating him, cherishing him, cherishing his word, stopping to smell the rose he created. God says, I like that. That's blessing me. Begin to see your life as lived to bless the Lord. Oh, come, let us adore him. Psalm 118, where I'm going to switch gears and think about as we take the Lord's Supper and have opportunity to bless, bless the Lord there. But Psalm 118, verse 26 says, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus, when he came into Jerusalem, said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Christ was indeed one who came. When, when we think about Christmas is coming, first week of December, Christmas is coming. The central focus is not that Christmas is coming. The central focus is that Christ is a coming God. We have a God who comes to us in our sin and in our frailty, and he forgives all of our sin and heals all of our diseases. Christ is coming. Blessed is he who is coming. And he comes in the name of another. He comes in the name of the Lord, the one who is over heaven and earth with all authority and power. For Christ to come to us and give us his body and his blood, it's downward mobility. We always want to be about upward mobility. Christ came down to die that we could be lifted to heaven. So see him as one who comes under his own rule and authority to die in our place and then to lift us. Begin to get a grip on, I, I want to be one who, who wakes up saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed, O oh God, are you. Bless the Lord. Praise the Lord in his sanctuary. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this opportunity just to get God-centered, to get God-focused, to get our eyes and minds off of ourselves a little bit and onto you. Lord, help us to bless you all the time, in all ways. Help us to praise your name, who is worthy of all praise. Lord, and let us be those who call all creatures and all angelic beings and hosts, people from every realm to join us in blessing your name. We thank you for a season for much praise 
much blessing is sung. Lord, may it so overwhelm us that we are just thrilled with the opportunity once again to give you praise and adoration. We thank you for the bread and the wine. We ask that you would set them apart for this sacred purpose of reminding us Christ gave his life and his blood that we could be forgiven of all sin and healed of all diseases. Lord, we bless you and we adore you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.